Well, I want to open this morning by just asking you a personal question. And I want you to ponder this question throughout the, the message this morning. Uh, who are you? <laughs> who are you? What's your self-identity? Uh, if you had to say who you are on the inside, not your name, not where you work, not what you do, not about your family, but in your innermost being, who are you? Now, we're going to see that's not a light question, but we're going to see that it's an essential question and a very practical question that we need to ask ourselves regularly as believers in Christ. You see how you answer that question has much to do with how you walk the Christian walk. If you don't know who you are, you really can't walk the pattern that God has given you in the Christian life to holiness. And it's a rare question. It's not a question that a lot of people ask themselves. And the reason is because I don't think a lot of people who profess faith in Christ really understand that they're any different than they were before they were saved. They think they're the same person. They wouldn't know what answer to give. And so well could be that uh, you don't think of yourself any differently than you did before you were saved. You look back and say, well, I, I believed in Jesus. I was a sinner before that. That's who I am. And then I trusted Jesus, and I became a Christian, and then God forgave me of my sins, and so therefore, I'm what? I'm a believer in Christ, and, but I'm the same basic person that I was before that, that happened. Who am I? Well, if I was answering the question like many, I would say, well, I'm Don Thomas. Uh, I was born a rebel. By God's grace, one day He came to me and saved me, and He brought me into His kingdom, and He gave me the gift of faith. And, uh, but, you know, I'm basically the same person, the same Don Thomas that I was back before God saved me. I'm just struggling with sin. I'm battling with sin in my life. And uh, I fail to re realize, like many people today fail to realize, the dramatic, radical change, the transformation that takes place when a person puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let me just say this. The change that took place in your life as a believer in Christ is so radical that uh, you're not the same person you were before you were saved. You're a different person. That's why I asked you, who are you? I mean, when you think about who you are, do you go back pre-Christ or do you go back to who you are today in Christ in defining who you are? Now, the sanctified life, I think, begins with this question. And giving the right answer to that question, it's also a question you can ask yourself today and you can easily forget to ask tomorrow. But I believe this very basic question of who are you is a question that as believers in Christ, we should be asking ourselves regularly over and over again and reminding ourselves of that answer because that's, that's the beginning, the beginning place in the mind of a walk of holiness. If you're to walk a, a walk of holiness, we're looking at this chapter on sanctification, you must first of all know who you are. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, I apologize for it. It's the best I could come up with. But uh, let's go back. Let's, let's put yourself in New York City. And so you're in New York City, and here's this little orphan kid running the streets of New York He's given over, he might be 12, 13 years old, to a life of crime. You know, when he gets hungry, he, he dumpster dives and he goes and looks for something behind the Chinese restaurant. 
And he hangs out with the gangs because the gangs are the ones that provide him a sense of safety and protection and, and some level of friendship, which he doesn't have. And then one day, Mr. Jones comes walking down the sidewalk. He has a big house up on the upper uh, east side. And uh, he says, come with me. My name's Mr. Jones. And he takes the kid by the hand to his lawyer's office. The lawyer drafts up an adoption paper. It's taken to the judge. The judge signs it. And suddenly, he realizes that he is Mr. Jones's son. And so Mr. Jones takes him up to his mansion. Here's your bedroom. This is your new life. Uh, enjoy it. Now, just one command. And by the way, this young guy's name is Casey. I would name him Casey. Here, one command, Casey, and that's this, that you need to start living like a Jones. You're now a Jones. Now start living like a Jones. And in other words, stop stealing. You need to stop hanging out with the gangs. You have to get out of the dumpsters, and we're going to put food out on the table for you as much as you'd like. And you're a son, start acting like a son. Dress like a son. But as hard as young Casey tries, he fails over and over and over again. He finds himself back on the streets during the day, hanging out with his friends and the gangs. Uh, He's still committing crime. And... There seems to be something lacking in in young Casey. Even though he's the father of a very wealthy man, his father is a very wealthy man, his self-identification of who he is has to do with, I'm still an orphan living on the street. That's how he views himself. He doesn't know anything beyond that other than the fact that his name's been changed. There's been a legal adoption that's taken place. He doesn't know what it means to be the son of Mr. Jones. He doesn't know uh, the changes taking place in his life. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know the meaning of the union that he has with his, with his father on earth and the resources that are his. And this radical change that took place in his life, he doesn't realize it. And so he goes about living his life as he did before. And so too in the Christian life. You can trust in Christ. You can be justified by faith. We saw that in the opening chapters of Romans. You can legally be declared righteous and have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. And then the Word comes. All of a sudden, now we're going into chapter 6. And now the Word comes to you. And and, and the Word says, now live like a child of the King. Live a holy life. And you try. And many of us this last week have tried. And we failed. And you say, I can't. I know I'm a Christian, but I I can't live the Christian life. And we're going to see today, the starting place is realizing who you are. In your mind, embracing and feeling and knowing who you are today in Christ. Who you've become. Know that you have a union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that fleshed out here in this, in this uh, passage. Like an orphan, you're, you're not the same person you were before God took you and saved you. A radical transformation has taken place in every believer here in this room at some point in your life when you came to faith in Christ. You're no longer in union with Adam. 
Now you're in union with Christ. You're one with Him. Now in chapter 5, remember Paul closed chapter 5 by telling us the, the law came. And then when the law came, what, what did that do? Stirred up more sin. And where sin increased, grace did much more increase. And that launched us into chapter 6. And we saw last week that raised an objection. And the objection was this, that uh, then what shall we say then? Someone's saying, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? If the law comes in, stirs up more sin, and, and that's to the glory of God, then let's really glorify God. Let's what? Let's go after it. Let's sin. And then we saw that uh, Paul's answer to that objection was, by no means. God forbid. No, 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 no. No, absolutely not. You know, and if, if Paul was dictating this to a, to a secretary, I was just trying to hear him say these words himself as, as he was trying to take the notes down as everything Paul's saying. And, yeah, no, 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 God forbid. And he's, he's writing that right down. It's, there's emphasis there. Life of sin is a complete contradiction uh, with, with who you are in Christ. And so I want to start off by asking the question, why, Paul? Why is it that we are, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that the grace may abound? Why is it that no, 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 we are not to sin? And Paul now is going to introduce to us one of the beautiful doctrines of the Christian faith. That is the doctrine of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that by words of baptism, he's using to describe to us our union being made one with the Lord Jesus Christ. After you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are in Christ. So whatever happens to Christ happens to you. It's essential when asked to who you are, one of the first things you should answer to yourself and rehearse in your own mind and repeat over and over and over again is that, I, that I'm a new creation in Christ I, I no longer sin. I'm not enslaved to sin. But on the other hand, I'm in union with Christ. That's who I am. I'm one with my Savior, Jesus Christ. We saw last week how he writes, how can we who died to sin still live in it? If we've died to sin, how do we continue to live in it? And, and the we, of course, is all believers uh, all believers have died to sin. If you're here today as a believer, you've died to sin. We, we looked at what that meant. and you, You've died to its reign over your life. And once and for all, sin no longer reigns in you. You might add that. Who am I? Well, I'm, I'm in harmony with God. I'm, I'm one with Christ. I'm in union with Christ. And I no longer am bound to sin. I'm no, no longer a slave to sin. And this happened at a point in time in the past. It happened once and for all. Uh, we, we saw that, and, uh, and you experience it the moment that you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You died to your habitual practices of sin. It no longer reigns over you. That's true. That's not a fairy tale. That's real. If you're in Christ, you no longer, sin no longer reigns over you. This is the Word of God. But here's the problem. Why do I still sin then? I mean, I, I can hear the objections coming out even before I finish repeating it the second time. 
Why do we continue to sin? We can't. We died to sin. We no longer reigns over us. And by the way, this should be your identity. When you're asked, what's your identity in Christ? Who are you in union with Christ? Number two, a person where sin no longer reigns in me. It no longer is my dominant controlling factor of my life. I've been freed from its power, and I, I live in, in the realm of grace. And uh, now, by the way, that doesn't mean we don't sin, right? We still sin. We don't, we're not teaching perfectionism. We still have a flesh that wars against the spirit. We have acts of sin that come in our life, but our life is not predominated. Isn't predominated by or characterized by nothing but sin, as it did before you were saved. So here's the question: How did we die to sin? And this is what he's going to go into. Uh, the, we died to sin because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to sh- show us what that union is in verses 3 through 11. And uh, you're going to discover your union with Christ is one of the most glorious blessings that, uh, that you'll ever experience in the Christian life. If you want to learn more about this, I would point you to Sinclair Ferguson. And he's done a lot of preaching, teaching, and writing on this subject and you'll be blessed by reading anything that he writes about your union to Christ and how important that is in, in your Christian life. Uh, we're taken out of Adam. We're no longer in union with Adam, and we're put in Christ. Now we're in union, oneness with Christ. You died to his death. He, he died, you died. He was buried, you were buried. He rose from the dead, you rise from the dead. Why? Because we're in Christ. And we're going to see that fleshed out. We are baptized into Christ, verse 3. Here we go. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? He says, do you not know? I mean, this is something that is like elementary Christianity 101. You should know this. This is a truth that I believe you probably know, Christians at Rome or Christians at Redeeming Grace Church. This is an elementary truth. All believers who have been baptized should know this one truth. And what is the truth? You, you were baptized into His death. Those of you who were baptized were baptized into His death. And I believe, here, here, here's the question. Is Paul talking about water baptism or spiritual baptism here? See, that's the question, isn't it? I, I don't know all the study Bibles you have, but I, I would guess there's notes down at the bottom of the page. You would probably give two different answers if everybody read the notes at the bottom of your page, whether... Whether Paul is talking about, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, is that water baptism or spirit baptism, were baptized, water baptism or spirit baptism, into His death? I believe what we have here is that the ordinance of baptism by water is, uh, is used to really describe for us what that symbol actually displays, and, 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 and that is our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, our spiritual union with Him. I don't see water baptism in this passage at all. Water b- baptism is a symbol of our union with, 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 uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our union to Christ brings crucifixion, burial, and death. We're going to see that fleshed out here in just a minute. Because we were baptized into Christ, there's our union, we're placed spiritually into Christ, and, uh, and uh, we have union with Him. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 puts it this way, 
For one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the same spirit. There's a spirit baptism there. We're baptized into the, the body of Christ. And it's the Spirit of God who unites us with Christ. And the moment you trust in Christ, you're united with Christ. And the moment you trust in Christ, you're in union with Christ. And, when, and something wonderfully happens. You begin to immediately participate in all that Christ has done. All the privileges and all the blessings in Christ are yours. You participated in His works. Uh, so I ask you, who are you? And you start off and you say, well... Uh, I'm a Christian. Yes. Uh, what else? Well, I'm in union with Christ. Yes. And what else? And therefore, I no longer have sin dominating my, my body. I'm, I'm free from sin and the power of sin in my life. And yes. And if you're a Christian, you're in union with Christ, you're vitally joined to Him, and whatever happens to Christ happens to you. Now, think of this. You're okay. So, you got a big 747 sitting on the runway, and, and you're about to go up, go up and get into the plane. And you're going to be in union with the plane when you go in the plane, right? You're in the plane like you're in Christ. And so, whatever the pilot does is going to happen to you. Why? Because you're in the plane. And so, the pilot says, Hey, we're taking off. We're going to be uh, going six miles high up in the air. Guess what? You're in union with that plane. You're going to be going up six, six miles high. If it's 500 miles an hour, you're going to be going 500 miles an hour. If it goes into turbulence, you're going to go into turbulence. Why? Because everyone who's in the plane is going to be basically uh, experiencing what the plane experiences. And whoever's in Christ is going to experience all of His blessings and joy that comes in Him by being united with Him uh, in, in the Lord. And by the way, this isn't pie-in-the-sky kind of Christianity I'm talking. This isn't mystical talk. This is reality. This really happens. You are really joined to Christ spiritually. And whatever Christ did, you did. And this is who you are. So you're asking yourself who I am. I'm united to Christ, right? Yes. And therefore, whatever happens to Christ happens to me. Baptized in Christ. You're in union with Christ. He died. Therefore, what? You died. He was buried. You were buried. He rose from the dead on the third day. Therefore, you rose from the dead because you're in Christ. You have that vital union with Him. And from the perspective of God, everyone who ever came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is true of them. You start thinking about this and meditating on this, and it really is it's an amazing truth because, I mean, in a very spiritual way, you were there. Christians, you were there back uh, at Golgotha. You were there when the spikes were driven into the hands of our Lord and Savior Jesus. When, when, when He breathed His last breath after suffering on the cross, you were in Christ. You were in Him. You were experiencing what He experienced, so to speak. You're going to see that you died. And then He was put in the grave. Then you were put in the grave, and your name was on that grave, the, head, the headstone of the grave. And by the way, he was put in the grave, what? So to prove the fact that you truly did die. And therefore, because of our union with him, he said we were baptized into his death. We, we died with him. We were 
buried with Jesus. We were in the grave with Him. And then we see that, uh, by the way, the reason why we were put in the grave with Him is so that we would know that we really did die. This isn't a prince's bride kind of death. You remember old Miracle Max, you know? Woo-hoo-hoo! Remember him? Yeah. Is he dead or is he not dead? Look, who knows so much? It just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all the dead, well, with all the dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do for them. And that, what's that? He says, well, go through their pockets and look for loose change. And so this is not a partially dead. The reason why we were buried with Christ, Paul wants us to know we are dead, dead. Three days in, in the tomb. And so when, when, when we say you're spiritually dead to the point where you're dead to sin, you need to realize you are dead, dead to sin. Well, this isn't just partially dead. This isn't like, you know, uh, mostly dead. This is dead, dead. Jesus was dead. It means literally we died and we died to sin. This is a side note on what this, by the way, this is, close your ears, Jeremiah, okay? This is probably one of, one of the good illustrations of why baptism by immersion is the biblical approach. And that is because this. It best typifies what happened spiritually. You died, and you were what? You were buried, and then you came up alive. And so you have all three we're talking about here in this passage. So we, uh, we're no longer in the realm of sin. We've died to sin. We're dead, dead to sin. And it's easy to forget that, especially during the midst of temptation in your own life, struggling with sin in your own life. You have to stop and regularly ask yourself, who am I? I'm in union with Christ. Who am I? I'm dead, dead to sin. Because why? I'm in union with Christ. And He died and I died. I was buried with Christ. And then he goes on to say, but it doesn't stop there. You were raised from the dead because of this union. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So third day... In the tomb, Christ bursts forth alive, and we too were in Christ. And here there we, we were there, spiritual, bursting forth unto life. This is the glory of the gospel. We who were dead in our trespasses and sin have been made alive in Christ. And then notice he says, we too. It's taken place. You have been made alive. You're not being made alive. You have been made alive. You are alive spiritually. You who were dead are now alive. And this life is one for what purpose? That we too should walk in the newness of life. And that tells me that if, if in fact, we were made alive, we too will walk in the newness of life, not in the future, but this is the pattern of the Christian life. All Christians, you and me, all of us together might, not potentially, it's a purpose clause, which literally means in order that or for this purpose, that you will walk in the newness of life. And so there's something else you can ask about yourself. Who am I in Christ? Well, I'm alive. 
spiritually alive, and not only spiritual life, but now I'm walking in the newness of life. That's who I am, walking in the newness of life. And the word new here is, is I think, helpful as well. It's, it's a word that, you know, the Greeks are more precise than we are in their, in their vocabulary. And so you have new in the sense of chronological newness in time, but you also have the word new that they would use for kind of a quality of newness. This is new, never been around before. And this is the word that he's using here. You know, it, it's kind of like the difference between a fixer-up house and building a, a, a new house on the same lot. The fixer-up house is the same house with a, with a do-over. I mean, you know, you've got some paint, you've got some flooring going in, maybe a cabinet or two in the kitchen. And so you could say it, 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 it's new. We would say it's like new, but it's, it's new. But it's not new, it's made over. Or the new would be also the word that he's using here is you bulldoze the house down and you actually build a brand new house on the same lot. And that's, that's the newness that we have in Christ. We are a new creation. We walk in the newness of life. Uh, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The what? Old has passed away, and behold... Some things have become new, right? No. All things, right, all things have become new. So here we walk in the newness of life. That tells us something about how we walk, the person, how we walk as a Christian. You don't walk the same way that you walked before God saved you. Uh, you're, you're, you're united with Christ. Um, God gave you new shoes, you walk a different path. You're on the straight and narrow. You're on the pathway of righteousness. Um, you're, 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 you're walking a resurrected life, the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't some spiritual lipstick on pigs. This is, this is like reality. God has actually changed you. And so you have a new life, a different life, a new quality, a resurrected life. You have an eternal life. You have a life of Christ. You have an abundant life. You have a holy life and a new walk. Your direction's different than it was before God saved you. I mean, you're, you're walking that, that narrow path we talked about in Pilgrim's Progress, remember? That little narrow path, the pathway of righteousness. You're not walking the way of the world and, and, and the way of the, that leads to destruction. New direction, new quality. And then we see, in, we see here as well... Uh, Paul really, from 5 to 7, is kind of summarizing everything he just said. So we have a summary we see here of verses 1 through 4. But it begins in verse 5. If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For if, or since, we have been united to Christ, and we have, and we have a death like His, not exactly the same, but, but very symbolic of our death to sin... It shows that we have been united with Christ. And we certainly, notice the word certainly. This is certainly true. And then we need to realize this. Who are we? Well, when you're identifying yourself, be sure you add a person whose old self has been crucified. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. These are strong words. We know that. 
This is, this is experiential knowledge. We know this not because you just told us, but we, we, we understand this by our life, by what we feel and what we've, we've sensed. This is true. This is basic Christianity as well, something you should already know. We know that our old self was crucified. Now, what does that mean? Now, some of you might have a translation that says your old what? Man was crucified. Anybody have that translation? Yeah. The old man was crucified. I mean, King James, New, uh, New King James, uh, maybe one or two other translations. And I really believe that's the better understanding here is, is the new man. Our, our, new, our, our old man, that is the man rather than self, our old man was crucified. Um, so let's, by the way, let's, let's remember what 6 and 8 are all about. Chapter 6 through 8, big subject is what? Sanctification. That's where we are. We're starting to learn about sanctification. Now, if I was writing uh, chapters on sanctification how you should walk the Christian life in obedience to God. You might expect me to take my, my quill and pen out and paper and papyra or whatever I have and start adding a list of imperatives, wouldn't you? By the way, this is sanctification. Do this, don't do that. Do this, do that. Do this, but never do that. And you just keep going and going and going. And, 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 and here we have... What we have is all the imperatives, all the commands. But here's what's fascinating about chapter 6. This is a chapter on sanctification. And basically, there's hardly any imperatives here at all. It's all indicatives, the truths that we need to know. I mean, you might expect the imperatives, but uh, now that we're justified, and, and Paul says these are things we should al already know, we must know. And I think what this tells us is this, and this is where we could easily go wrong. The holy life, the sanctified life, the life of obedience to God begins by knowing, not by doing. Do you see that? I mean, isn't that where a lot of churches go off? And, you know, I mean, they've got rules and regulations. They're going to be a holy church. And da -da 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 -da. Do this, do that, don't do this. And they just keep going on. There's no end to it. Where Paul begins, well, we'll get to that. You know, there's still chapter 12 coming up. But where Paul begins, he begins with what God has done. And that's, that's something we need to know and embrace and, and even feel. Knowing what God has done. By the way, in this, this chapter 6, there's 10 indicatives and there's one imperative. There's a lot we need to know. There's only one thing he tells us to do in that chapter. What are we to know? We're to know that our old self was crucified with him. The old man was crucified with Christ. The old man, this is the person you were before you were saved. This is the person you were when you were united to Adam. Your old man was crucified. The old man might be thought of as the unregenerate man. And now that you're in Christ, you've been regenerated, you're, you've been brought alive, you're, a new, you're given a new, a, new, a new heart, a new spirit, and, and therefore you uh, are the regenerate man. The old man has died. The old man who was basically a slave to sin and was nothing but sin 
that had the old heart of stone, that the person died. The corrupt nature died. And you were made into a, a new man, a new creature in Christ. He was crucified. He died. You died. Your old man died to sin. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. But it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I know and that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What I see here is a radical and complete change in, in, in your being. I ask you who you are. Who am I? Well, you want to add to that list. Here, here's one more. You're, you're, you're one whose old man was crucified. You are not the same person today that you were back then. That old man is dead, dead. Not almost dead, but dead, dead. That's a radical and complete change. As sure as Christ was crucified, as sure as Christ was put in the grave, that's how sure you are that your old man is dead. It's important that we see ourselves as we truly are. You are not a made-over sinner, okay? Don't think that way. That's a false understanding of who you are. You know, well, I'm just, you know, put some spiritual makeup on. I'm a little bit better than I was before. No, that's not it. The old man died, and now you're a new man in Christ. There's a common teaching today that would be contrary to this. and might be in some study Bibles even today that says that basically that's, that's not quite accurate, what I just said. It says that you have two natures. Maybe you were taught this it's in some church. Uh, you have two natures. You have, you, have, you have the old nature and the new nature, or you have the old man and the new man. You were an old man. I am an old man. You were an old man, but now that you're an old man, then you God saved you, and now you're also plus a new man. And so what happens under this teaching is you become a, a spiritual schizophrenic the moment you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because you've got two men going, and these two men are wrestling with each other. And you have to wake up every day and get out of bed and say, oh, which man am I going to follow? And by the way, they liken it to taking dogs for a walk, white dog, black dog. And which dog am I going to take for a walk today? Am I going to walk with the old man today and act like the old man, or am I going to go with the, 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 the new man and walk the new man? And so you're the spiritual schizophrenic. And uh, this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches, Paul teaches, your old man died. If, if the black dog's the old man, the black dog is dead. And there's only one man to take for a walk that day, and that is the white dog. By the way, you might have had that black dog, right? That's it. <laughs> story from this morning. Uh, anyway, it's uh, who are you? Well, we see you're a man who, or where the old man has been crucified. Now, we, we, we know we still sin, so I, I, I don't want us to hear sinless perfection from what Paul's saying here because it's not true. Our experience is we still sin, don't we? We still have acts of sin, and this is, this is part of, 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 of our life. We have a flesh, and the flesh wars against the Spirit. And then we, we break the law of God. We've broken the law of God last week. Maybe we've broken the law of God today. 
And that's going to happen all the way until you see Jesus face to face. So we'll never reach sinless perfection in this life. But we do know this. Because of our union with Christ, uh, our old man is crucified. The reign of sin in our life is, is no longer there. We've died to sin, and we're enslaved to it no more. Uh, do you know that? And then there's the purpose that we look at here, and the purpose follows. He says, that, in other words, you were crucified, the old man, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to it. There's a lot of terminology here we have to learn. We have to learn old man, new man. We have to learn all these things that are being crucified. But here he's talking now about the body of sin. And I believe the body of sin is, is Paul's way of saying your human body with your fingers, your mind, your eyes, your nose, your throat, your, your tongue, uh, your, all that makes up you as a person. That, that, that's your, the body of sin. That's your body. Every time you, you, you lust after the flesh and you sin, it has to express itself, right? You say, well, no, it's just in my mind. Well, then that's part of yourself too. Then it's in your mind, your thoughts. But we're going to see here that your body of sin might be brought to nothing. And that is your, the sin that takes place in your, in your mind and in your feet and your lips and your tongues and your eyes and your hands. Uh, that's, that's where the sin works its way out by way of expression and deeds. But even that, that body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. No longer will there be tyranny of sin over all the members of your body because your old man has died. Interesting passage is 1 Corinthians 6. I preach a whole sermon on this one. Verse 14 to show you that because we do have union with Christ, not only does it work for our good, but it also can work towards our, our judgment. Because when you're united to Christ, what you do, you bring Christ into it. See, we saw that union with Christ, what Christ did, runs to our benefit and all the privileges and blessings that come to us. But because we are united to Christ, it also works the other way. And God has raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His grace do you not know that your bodies, here we are, are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes the one spirit with him. So there you are, united with Christ. And all the blessings that come to us through Christ, what a blessing it is. But also the, the downside is we have to remember, whatever you do because you're united to Christ, you drag Christ in the middle of it. And so your, your members, he talks about, you take your members and join them to a prostitute. Very graphic language. You're actually taking Christ and, and bringing Him into that, 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 that sinful practice and, and, and bringing Him in the middle of it. But he says, well, we have to remember, the old man has been crucified that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Abolished, nullified, wiped out, no longer under its power. 
And so we see here sanctification really impacts your body as well as your, your spiritual condition, relationship to God Himself. So that we'll no longer be enslaved to sin. What a blessing that is. What a wonderful truth it is. We'll no longer be enslaved to sin. Sinful passions. You know, there's all kinds of sins. There's acts of sin. We've all, we all commit acts of sin. But the ones that are the most troubling are the besetting sins, the addictive sins, the sins that se- don't seem to go away. You know, they're, it's, it's, it's the drunkenness. It's the drug addiction. It's the pornography. It's, it, 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 it's any kind of sin where it just grabs you and, and, and you seem to be enslaved to it. And you think, there's no hope. I repent. I ask for forgiveness. And here we go. And then I go back and ask, ask you again, if that is you, who are you today? You see, your view of yourself and what Christ is doing in you is going to have a big impact on how you work out your holiness and your sanctification. And if you stop and ask yourself, who am I? And then you come back with this checklist that we've just been going through, realizing I'm in union with God. I'm dead to sin. I've been crucified and, 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 and to death and to burial and to resurrection. And, and, and my members are no longer slaves to sin. That's who I am then you have to start believing that God is going to give you the resources to break that addiction. And by the way, if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic, alcoholic or a drunk that you might call yourself, this is where AA goes wrong. Only Christ can break the addiction. What you can do is trade one addiction for another. Trade the alcohol for what? The AA, and you're in it the rest of your life. You're a slave to AA. But if you want to be free... Free indeed, as we're going to see here in just a minute, it comes from what? Christ breaking the chain and causing us to truly be, be free through His Spirit, being united with Him. And what I see here is a great hope, a great promise, great encouragement. The deliverance can come through Christ. And in the last verse, for, for one who has died has been set free. Isn't that wonderful? Been set free. So... We saw last week everyone who has been justified has been sanctified. So we're not talking about super express lane Christians. Oh, yeah, I know some people like that. You've been talking. No, this is all of us. He's describing all of us that have union with Christ. And uh, now here's where I kind of struggled this week putting this sermon together is usually at this point in the message, it's application time. You know, you read the passage, you explain the passage, you apply the passage. How do you apply a passage where there's, there's no uh, imperatives? They're all indicatives. Paul's not telling you to do anything. I mean, he says, oh, what you need to do now, the next week, let's all get together, let's do this. But he doesn't. I mean, the application isn't do here. The application is what? Believe and, 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 and know. Know these things. There's no imperatives. There's nothing... Paul is calling you to do, but he is calling you over and over again in this passage to know and to be reminded and remind yourself over and over again. Who are you? Let's see if at the end here you give give a different answer to this question. If you're in Christ today, who are you? 
How do you identify yourself? How do you think of yourself as a Christian? And this is an important question. Ask it over and over again this week. How do you see yourself in this passage? We say, I'm a saint, justified by faith in Christ. Yes. Saved by the grace of God. Yes. That's who I am. That, 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 that takes me through chapter 5, but also I have to live in chapter 6 of Romans as well, and all the way through 8. And here's, here's the, the no. Who am I in Christ? I'm dead to sin. That's who I am in Christ. I'm dead. I'm in union with Christ. I was in union with Christ spiritually even before I was born. It became real to me when I was trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. I'm one with Jesus. And we see as well that uh, therefore I'm in union with His death. I'm in, in union with His burial. I'm in union with the resurrection. Therefore I'm dead, dead. That's somewhat dead. And I'm alive to Christ. And therefore, I can walk in the newness of life. That's, I got new shoes on. I can walk now in the direction that God wants me to go in my Christian life, down the pathway of holiness. And, and therefore, as, as we just, just read at the very end here, I'm no longer enslaved to sin. That's who I am. And I, I don't think that's a once for all you ask the question and answer it. I think it's something we need to periodically go through. This is a good checklist to open up in Romans chapter 6 when we're coming to the Lord's table. Go through that. Who am I as I come and observe the cup and as I come and observe and receive the bread? Who am I in Christ? Now, I want to close by anyone that might be objecting and saying, yeah, it all sounds good, but I still sin. And to you I say, be encouraged. So did the Apostle Paul. We haven't got to Romans 7 yet, have we? But that's there for a reason, too, to let us know that, you know, you're not unique. In fact, the, the reality of it, as much as we're preaching holiness and sanctification, the reality is, you know, there's going to be sin in your life and my life all the way until we see Jesus face to face, and it's a battle. But here's the key. If you're in the battle, you know that you're dead. I know that might not make sense, but if you're wondering whether you're dead to sin, well, you're in the battle. If you weren't in the battle, you'd be involved in a life of total sin. But the fact that you feel guilty, the fact that you're struggling, the fact that you're repenting, and the fact that you are, are wrestling with a particular sin in your life, I think, shows great hope and great evidence that truly the life of Christ is in you, or you wouldn't be going through that battle. There is forgiveness, though. And this war is going to continue until your union with Christ becomes your communion with Christ in that day when we see Him face to face. And so, Father, we close and thank you for your word again today. And, Lord, uh, there's much here. Lord, we thought, I, maybe at the beginning, we thought that the Christian was just one who believes in Jesus and goes to heaven. But, Lord, we realize that there's no separation between being justified and being sanctified. And once we step from chapter 5 into chapter 6, we enter into a, a war. A war for holiness and putting, putting sin to death in our life. But, Lord, we see because of who we are, you've given us all the resources. We th thank you, Lord, for being vitally joined to your Son. 
We thank you for all the blessings that flow to us through that union. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, uh, equip us, prepare us for this week as we enter into the battle again and your help in bringing deliverance and forgiveness that we can cry out, truly we are free. In Jesus' name, amen.